thank you so much for that wonderful song, one of my absolute favorite Christmas songs, and uh, that might just be my favorite rendition of it. That's, that's real good. I'll tell you what, pentatonics eat your heart out. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Thought about that prayer contained in the chorus. Give us a lamp to guide our way to the land of perfect day. Thankful that God gave us an answer to that prayer with a resounding yes. Gave us Jesus and gave us his word. Guide us to the land of perfect day. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to the Gospel according to St. Matthew chapter 2. We're going to be talking uh, not a whole lot about the star, but those that followed that star. Um, I don't know if they've just guessed and predicted that was on the docket for this morning in this, in this series, um, and, uh, or if it just happened to be a coincidence, but um, we have been trying, by the help of the Lord, to get into the sandals of different ones in the Christmas story. We try to get into Mary's shoes for a little bit and try to understand what it was like to be her. And we then, uh, jo uh, jo yeah, Joseph. <laughs> Joseph, we tried to understand Christmas, that first Christmas from his perspective. What a responsibility laid upon that young man. And then we've uh, looked at the shepherds last week, and we still have one more to go. Next Sunday we'll conclude, and, and uh, we'll let you think about where we might go next week, but we want to look together at these, these men, these magi, these wise men who come from the east. I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 2, we'll begin reading in verse 1, and we're going we're gonna to do some, a jump here in a little bit, and so I'll, I'll try to help you with that. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born, king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Now let's skip down to verse 9. Skip down to verse 9. When they heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Father, we thank you for your word. How often we say that as we begin to pray, and yet those words are ever true. We're thankful that you provided your word 
as a lamp to light our way. We ask that you'd help us one more time to rightly divide the word of truth. Lord, help us to speak in such a way that would not hinder, but would help. And may you be glorified in it. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever gotten a Christmas gift that didn't quite meet expectations? You always kind of hate when that happens, and when it, especially if it's one of your kids. And they're all excited, and then they open it up and they see what they got, and then their face just kind of falls. My wife had that experience as a child, and the family got it on, on real to real film. I've never seen it. I really wish Dad would get it out, because it's one of those family stories. Trisha's older sister had just opened a doll, and it was, oh, it was so exciting. And then Trisha opened up her gift, and I don't know if it was a shirt or a sweater or something. She was so excited. She thought it was going to be a doll like her sister got, and she looked at it, and ugh, it was not what she was wanting. And my, the story goes that whenever my father-in-law gets these out, he always hits it in reverse. And the nice thing about the reel, the reels is it shows it in reverse, and it shows her uh, wrapping the gift back up and put, taking, putting it away. I really want to see this. I've heard that story probably just about every Christmas. Sometimes we get things that just don't quite meet our expectations. And what do you say when you get a gift that, that you just, wow. I mean, if it's a, an ugly sweater, you could say, wow, this would look great on me when I'm down in the basement. <laughs> no, that's probably not going to work. Or you could say, wow, that's a gift. I hear that works for ugly babies. Wow, that's a baby. <laughs> or... You know, you get something that's supposedly cute. You say, oh, it's as cute as a button. How cute is a button anyways? <laughs> or maybe my favorite one, and, and I shouldn't tell you this one because I, uh, because I say this even when I do like it. So it works out really nice. I don't deserve this. <laughs> that could be good or bad. Sometimes the gifts just don't meet expectations. And you know that I think when you're the gift giver and you see that they didn't really thrill them, that can be disappointing, can't it? I think about these wise men who are traveling from afar. Tradition says they traveled about 900 miles took them six to nine months to get to their destination. And they were seeking the very first and very greatest Christmas gift ever given, the gift of Christ. And I'm thankful this morning to report he exceeded all expectations. But as I think about the wise men and as, as I think about this series as we've tried to understand, try to, try to empathize with, with the different uh, characters of that first Christmas. And, I, and, and please understand, I recognize that they didn't show up at 
Christmas Day. They, it, they were there six to nine months after they left. Did it take them a little while to get their things together? We don't know exactly how long from Jesus' birth to the time that, that they arrived. And people just get silly about this. People think that they got to take their nativity and they, they take the three wise men and put them on a different shelf or in a different room. They can't have them at the stable because that's not biblical. If you need to do that, that's great. But I think it, what it does is it just reminds us of all those that participate in this great story. I don't think you've got to put them in a different room or in a different shelf. But that's, I guess that's up to you. But as I think about these wise men and trying to understand them a little bit, one of the first things that catches my eye is their wonder. Their wonder. Tradition is that Daniel, when he was in Babylon as a captive, trained these wise men, trained this order. And from generation to generation, they had heard from Daniel, and Daniel, a great prophet, had predicted to them about a coming star that would coincide with the coming of the Messiah. Generations have passed. Hundreds of years have passed. And person after person has come and they have shared to the next generation, these next scholars. We have been taught by a wise man, a prophet of God, Daniel, that there's coming a Messiah, there's coming a king, and there'll be a star when he's born. And I suppose, I suppose this morning that there were students who left the order. It's been generations. It's been centuries. We've seen no star. We've seen no coming of this Messiah. And I suppose some slipped out of the order, disillusioned and disappointed. But some held on. Some continued to believe when others thought they were crazy. And one day, just like any other day, they'd gone about their responsibilities. They had eaten their meals. They had said goodbye to the wife and to the children. They were on watch that night to watch the stars, to see, to see if this night would be different than the thousands of nights before it. I kind of imagine, this is just my imagination, but one of the gentlemen he, that was on responsibility for the night, I don't know how many were up there that night. We know there were three gifts. There's expect, we've made it out like there were three wise men. There could have, some scholars believe there could have been as many as 300. We don't know how many, but 
I suppose that there were different ones that were up there. They were, and they were talking and they were looking at the, the sky. And my, I just believe that there was no expectation that night. They'd been disappointed their entire life. Oh, they'd seen this comet, or they'd seen uh, a planet. They'd, they, maybe they'd seen things that were intriguing and, and, and incredible. And yet that night, hope was kind of minimal. Can I ask you this, this morning, with what expectancy are you awaiting the Savior? What expectancy do you have of the Messiah coming today? I think we all look to some degree every day. And I hope and I trust and I pray that we live every day carefully. And probably we don't view it this way, but all the previous days have been disappointment as far as his return is concerned. And there's an expectation that today is not the day he's coming. We just kind of have that expectation. There's, there's a good and a bad about that. It's, there's, the, of course, the bad in that we, we should be looking forward to his coming. But there's also the good in that we are not getting so caught up in today that we're in his coming that we've gotten the idea that we don't need to... to testify to others and, and evangelize others, that we've, that we've allowed it to uh, paralyze us. It should push us to tell others, not keep us locked in. But these, these gentlemen, I think, were expecting to see the sky and talk about their favorite stars and their favorite constellations, but there was no expectations of his stars. And yet they were there, and they saw it. One of these days, one of these days, we're going to see, too. Here they are. They're, they're probably so excited. They're jumping up and down. And someone says, watch, 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 watch. You're getting too close to the edge of the roof. You're going to fall off. You would too. Something you'd look for for all of your life. When you find something that you have looked for for a long time, you get excited about it. When you find those glasses that you've lost and don't really have any hope of finding them, and you find them, there's an excitement about it. A phone call or a text, they're found. How about the shepherd who's found the lost sheep? What's he do? He gathers everyone together and has a party. The woman with the lost coins, she throws a party. When something important, when something that is uh, is uh, uh, been the focus of our attention is found, there is excitement about it. They begin to gather their things and begin to make preparations. I think they already had some preparations. I think they already had camels on weight. I think, 
I think there was already some, but, but now it's for real. It's for real. You know what? We all know, every single one of us knows that we, this could be our last day on this earth. But you know people who have been told they have just so long to live, they change the way they carry out those last days. They begin to connect with people they haven't connected for, uh, with in a, for a while. They begin to uh, uh, make apologies or try to reconcile some relationships. Things begin to happen differently when we know the end is near. Even though it could be the end for all of us, we just don't know. They begin to make their preparations, they, and they set out on their journey 900 miles. I didn't look that, it up to be exact, but I believe that's probably from about here to Cleveland. I think that's about 900 miles. That's a long ways to ride camel. And the Bible doesn't even tell us they had camels. And if these are wise men with, with great wealth as, as they appear to be, my guess is that they had a lot of servants and a lot of people with them. This is a great company. There's probably a lot of people walking. Do I have any volunteers to walk from here to Cleveland? <laughs> be lucky to get there in nine months, wouldn't we? <laughs> But they were caught by wonder, this Messiah is born. The Messiah is here. I want to ask you this morning, what do you wonder about? What captures your imagination? What excites you? You know, they, there's a saying that is embedded into our culture. That it just, it just bothers me because it's so false. It's so false, and yet you hear it so often. What I don't know can't hurt me. What I don't know can't hurt me. There is nothing that could be more wrong than that. There's nothing that could be more wrong than that. What you don't know is the most likely thing to hurt you. Ignorance is deadly. You all don't have it cold enough where, like we do uh, up north where, where we literally drive vehicles over uh, lakes in, up in Michigan. It gets time to to uh, go ice fishing. Now, I've never been ice fishing because I don't like the cold that much. But you, they will get out on those, those lakes. They will drive their pickup trucks. They'll have their ice shanties on them. They'll take their ice shanties off and put them there on the lake. And it is not uncommon to see vehicles driving on lakes come the wintertime up north. None of you know anything about that. But we had to make it a law in Michigan that for 
if your vehicle goes through the ice, you not only had to pay to have it out, but you paid a fine for every single day it was in the lake. Because it's leaking oil and fuel and those kind of things, polluting that lake, damaging the fish. And so you want to get that vehicle out of there in a hurry. You don't say, well, I just lost my truck. No, no, no. You lost your truck and you're going to be paying thousands of dollars. I think it's $1,000 a day, if I remember right. It's an expensive adventure to not know if the ice is thick enough to support the weight of your truck. And that's if you're fortunate to have gotten out of it. If you got out of it. It's a dangerous thing to not know. It's a dangerous thing to not know. What happens when the wise men showed up at King Herod's court? They didn't know the Messiah was born. They didn't know where he was born. They didn't know anything about this Messiah at all. And when the wise men shows up, what is this, what does the scripture tell us? They were troubled. Because now they not only have ignorance, but now they have just enough truth to get them into trouble. And if there's anything worse than ignorance, it's just a little bit of truth matched with a whole lot of ignorance. I could do an experiment this morning. I won't do it. But if I were to ask this morning, who here is an above average driver? My guess is I would have among the drivers in this congregation, the vast majority of your hands would go up. You're above average. But guess what? By definition, only half of you are better than average. The other half of you are below average. Now, I don't know which ones of you are. I'm not making any judgment calls this morning. But there is a belief that every, most of you, almost all of you would have raised your hand. I'm an above average driver. Because you have, and for those of you that it's not true, it's because you have a little bit of knowledge and a whole lot of ignorance. And when it comes to bad roads or it comes to a situation that maybe requires above average driving, your ignorance coupled with that little bit of truth can lead you to make a very dangerous and deadly decision. As they travel down this road to Independence every morning for school, I've said to my wife repeatedly, over and over, I say it to her, and I'm, I'm wanting Dennis to get it into his head, if you see a deer jump across, just hit it. Do not hit the ditch. 60 miles an hour, 65 miles an hour hitting the ditch, you're more likely to kill yourselves than you are if you hit that deer. Why is that? Is it because I don't believe my wife's an above-average driver? No, I believe she's above average. I have to say that or else I will not get lunch. <laughs> But I'm wanting to tell, I want her to know that knowledge I, because her natural instinct is going to be 
to swerve away from that, hit that ditch, and roll that vehicle. That is her natural inclination. I'm wanting not for her to be an average driver. In that moment, I want her to be an above average and go against her natural inclination and perhaps even poor training from someone else. And Herod and the people became troubled because they had a little bit of knowledge coupled with a world of ignorance. And so now Herod seeks to kill the child because he thinks somehow that's going to keep the king, the Messiah, from taking the throne. Oh, how foolish. Oh, how ignorant. Oh, how ignorant. Folks, if we are going to avoid the trap of King Herod and all of Jerusalem, we are going to have to embrace the wonder of these magi. We're going to have to embrace that same spirit of the shepherds. Let's go see. It should have been the first clue to the wise men that Herod was up to no good when he wasn't willing to get off his throne and follow them to the baby himself. Because if truly the Messiah is come, Herod should have done exactly that. For if these wise men could travel 900 miles, why can't Herod travel five or six? I'll tell you why. Because ignorance is deadly. Ignorance is deadly. And folks, we need to be people of wonder. John Wesley said that holiness people should constantly be reading for a knowing people will never be led astray. Oh, folks, that there's been a lot of people that have gotten behind pulpits and led people astray because people weren't unknowing people. We think we know everything there is to know. I won't ask it, but if I took a survey, how many here believes that they're above average in their Bible knowledge? Every one of us should be able to raise our hands. But I wonder how many of us it would be true about For we are supposed to be people of the book. Oh, that God would help us. That we would have a wonder, a knowledge, a thirst for, for truth. David said that, and I'm, and I'm using a modern word picture, but he says that he's... He loves God's word so much he's trying to hold his eyelids open at night because he doesn't want to fall asleep studying the word. He's just thirsty to know the truth. Oh, that God will give us some that are that hungry for his word. They have the wonder. Folks, I t to travel 900 miles, even today by car, there's many of us that wouldn't bother. We wouldn't bother. let alone the investment that they made because of the power of wonder and curiosity. Oh, I hope we wake up 
Maybe don't say it, but, but at least with the attitude in our heart, Lord, what can you teach me today? How can I grow in you today? How can I be more like you today? Oh, that wonder would fill our lives like it did the wise men. I believe wonder and curiosity, taking a position of not knowing, understanding that we don't know everything, I believe that is one of the key ingredients that made these men wise. Oh, their wisdom. But then I thought about their worship. These are, these are men of great ability, great wealth. I mean, they're able to leave their home and travel six to nine months, and it's six to nine months to get back. You don't do that if you're poor. They've left their jobs. They left off their stargazing. They've left home. They're on a mission. They show up at the house, and there's a one- to two-year-old toddler. And the Scripture says, in the word for worship, they, they threw themselves down on the ground. It wasn't a formal bow. It wasn't like last night where they went down on one knee. It wasn't a bow like this, like you do at the end of a, of a play or a skit. But they laid themselves prostrate on the ground. Grown men, grown wealthy men. The word that's used here is a, a word of such adoration it's like a dog that licks the hand of its master. I never realized this before, but do you realize that they gave themselves before they gave their gifts? So oftentimes we focus on the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh, and I love the song We Three Kings and how it talks about uh, that the gold is, represents the fact that he was a king and it crowns him as king. And the frankincense is, is an incense that shows that he's God and the worship that's due him as God. And the myrrh that was used to embalm and how that represented that he came to die. I, I appreciate the, the, the symbolism there. But folks, before we can give God our treasures, we must give Him ourselves first. Before we can, before we can sing His praise, before we can, before we can put our, our tithe in the offering plate or give our offerings, or before we can even dedicate ourselves to a living nativity or, or a program tonight, before we can give God any of our treasures, we must first give Him us. And that's what those wise men did. They threw themselves prostrate on the ground, touching their forehead to the dirt. And they said, we give you us. Oh, that we would worship God like that. This isn't to be critical. Oh, folks, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm trying to say here. But we come to church too formal. We really do. 
We don't, you know, it, it amazes me how some people look, at, uh, look down on the formal churches. We're just one step away. We, they print their, their uh, service schedule in the, in the bulletin. We don't do that, but we could. You know what's coming next. You don't need me to emcee the service. You know what's going to happen next. It's only when I decide to mess things up that, that wow, what are we going to do now? We have our routines. And we worship, when we, and we call it worship, but do you know what is in the back of our mind? We wonder what other people are going to think if we put our hand up. We worry about what if we took a walk? What if we shouted? What if that something, we did something. You know what, we don't even have that in our heads anymore because it's been so long since we've done any of that. It's not even an option on the table. Folks, worship is for the king. It's not for anybody else that's here. It isn't. If you think I'm weird because I jump up and down on the platform, you're just going to have to think I'm weird. I'm not jumping for you. If you think it's weird if I take a walk around the church and with my hand up during the song service, if you think it's weird, you go ahead and think that I'm not taking a walk for you. It's not for you. And if you think it's weird that grown, rich men throw themselves in the dirt in front of a one- or two-year-old toddler, well, folks, you think it's weird all you want. They weren't bowing for you. Oh, that God would help us to quit worrying about... Folks, that's what holiness was supposed to take care of, is worried about what everybody thinks about us. Oh, I know, we don't preach that part of holiness anymore. If we can't worship God in a certain way because of what people think, and it's honoring to God, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. No, I don't think we ought to have inappropriate Christian dance teams. Some of, the, some of those things are absolutely disappointing. You know, there's, there's some things that need to be done in decency and order. We're, I understand that. But, so I, but I believe that if we're truly worshiping the Lord, we're not going to have any of that nonsense. But I mean, God used to come down and and our holiness churches to the point that a lady would get so blessed her hair would fall down. And you know what I'm afraid? I'm afraid some people would have a fit over it. Oh no, her hair's down. If she's worshiping God, you just don't worry about it. If God wants to see her glory, you just lay it, leave it alone if that's what God wants. I truly don't believe I'll see that ever in my life. I've never have and I don't think I ever will. And not because the hair spray's gotten stronger. But I believe we've just gotten so caught up in worshiping God in a formal way that our worship isn't really worship. It's demonstration. I'm not wanting to... 
I'm not wanting to put on a show. I'm not, I, I don't, I'm not going after some of these, these other churches where, where it's all a show. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about authentic, real worship. I don't believe those men hit their heads on that dirt to put on a show for anybody. I don't think they were saying, come look at how awesome we are because we traveled 900 miles. And because we can bow down to a, to a toddler. I don't think it was for a show for anybody that came along, any of their servants. I believe they were, they were doing what their heart compelled them to do. You know, I, I just believe with all my heart that when we get to heaven, some of us are going to act a little differently there than we do here. Because I believe there you won't have in your head, I wonder what everybody else thinks. Oh, that God would break us from our routines and our ruts and our thoughts of what other people think. Someone told me that, I, that when I shout, I sounded like an old woman. Well, that's all right. Don't bother me at all. I wasn't shouting for them either. Oh, that, oh, that we would get to the place where we could worship like that. Do you know what happens after they gave themselves? Then they were able to give their treasures. And here's what amazes me. They expected no great treasures back. Folks, we don't worship God for what we get out of it. We don't, you know, Lord, I, my ties are all, all paid. I really want that BMW. Really? Lord, I, you know, I, 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 I put extra money in the offering plate. Um, uh, you know, I, I really could uh, use a healing over here. Now, there have been times, I'll be honest, I've prayed, Lord, the tithes are paid in full and the bills are due, but I've paid you first. I've prayed that. But I didn't, pay, I didn't pay my tithes so God would meet my needs. I paid my tithes because that was what was good and right. We give our treasures not so that God owes us, but that we can show him that we gave something that we would enjoy to demonstrate to him that he is our joy, that he's the one that brings us the greatest pleasure, that he's the one that fills our deepest longings. And anything of this world that we treasure or value is nothing in compared to him, and he can have it if he wants it. And that's why... That's why we, when we get sanctified, we put our, our family on the altar. It's why when the baby is born, that you'll dedicate that child to God, saying the happiness this child brings is nothing to the, to the, compared to the happiness that you brought us. We give back to you what you've given us. For we really don't own anything, but we give it to you so that, it's a, that you know that our happiness is found only in you. 
It's why our cars aren't so fancy that we can't bring children to church in them. It's why our houses are not so oh, uh, immaculately clean that we can't invite the stranger in for a meal. Oh, folks, these wise men didn't bring treasures to get favor with the child. They brought treasures so that they could show him that he was their treasure. And thank God when he meets our needs and thank God when he meets our wants. But folks, we don't give him our stuff so that we get more stuff. We give up our stuff so that he can take that uh, and fill it with himself. What does that hymn say that he emptied himself of all but love? I wonder what's cluttering us up inside that's keeping us to be filled with anything other than him. For he is love. What's cluttering us up and our busyness to get the Christmas cookies cooked and, the, uh, and baked and, the, and the, the presents purchased and the, the wrapped and all these things? Are they cluttering up us so that we can't worship this morning? The things that we want on our Christmas list. Cluttering up things in here so that we don't have room for more of Him. Lord, help me. I don't want there to be anything in my heart that, that takes up space that God can't fill. And I thank God for the things and the people that he's given me. Thank God for my family. Thank God for you all. Thank God for the parsonage that's warm and hot water and all these blessings that we have. But oh God, if they, take, if they are standing in the way of more of God, we better put them at his feet. We better put them at his feet. Well, you're fortunate. You all came to, came to the game and it's overtime. <laughs> Everybody's favorite thing to happen is overtime. Talked about their wonder. We talked about their worship. But finally, I just want to talk about their walk. The trio sang for us this morning that they followed the star. And they did. They could follow the star all the way to Jerusalem. We, I, don't, I believe probably the star disappeared or they would have went straight to Bethlehem. I believe it was God's ordained uh, plan for them to go to Jerusalem because of the prophecy. Many prophecies were fulfilled because of that detour. And I've heard preachers get on to the wise men. I don't believe the wise men made a mistake. I believe that perhaps the star had disappeared for a season. They went to the capital because it made sense. And it also fulfilled a lot of prophecies. Not good ones, not ones that we'd like to see fulfilled. But God's word will come up to pass, whether good or bad. And they followed that star. They left Jerusalem and they saw the star again. God was leading them. They got there. They worshipped. But here's what caught my attention, Cameron. They didn't follow the star home. 
being warned of a dream by God. God spoke to them. Where he, they were following signs and symbols, they now were following God after they had an encounter with Christ. Woo! They were in... They were in step with the Holy Spirit after they got an encounter with Christ. Folks, this is the message of Christmas. Mary, when she received word from the angel that she was to have the child, what did she do? She said, I obey, be it as you say. When Joseph, who was going to put her away, received word from the angel, marry her and call this baby Jesus, what did he say? He said, I obey, I will do it. When the shepherds heard of the angels and their, their proclamation, they said, we'll obey and we'll go and see this thing. And when these wise men heard the voice of God in a dream, they said, we'll go a different way. We'll obey. Folks, this is the message of Christmas over and over again. If you want an encounter with Jesus Christ, you're going to have to obey. Woo! Obedience brings the blessing. Oh, you don't, you're not sanctified yet? Well, you walk in obedience then and you'll get it. You'll get it. Because obedience brings the blessing. You're confused. You don't know if you're saved or sanctified. Well, I'll tell you what. You be obedient and he'll show you right way, the way, right way to go. Obedience brings the blessing. If there's a story in Scripture, in anything, in this whole Christmas story, any of the stories, Anna and Simeon, oh, it, what is it? It's obedience brings the blessing. That's the message of Christmas. Jesus, His whole coming was obedience to the will of the Father so that we could be saved. Obedience for Christ meant our blessing it's the theme of christmas if there's anything to get a hold of it's not stars and shepherds it's not angels and mary it's not any of those things it's obedience brings the blessing oh folks this is where it's at no longer following a star. No longer following a, a, uh, those things. And I'm thankful that God spoke to them in a language they could understand. But once you've had an encounter with Christ, you get to follow God himself. Wow. Well, I don't know if that does anything for you, but that did something for me. Because <laughs> when I was lost, he spoke my language till he got a hold of me. And then he started speaking to me directly. I could hear him. In my sin, I couldn't hear his still small voice. But when he cleaned me up, he cleaned out my ears too. Hallelujah. The message of a Christmas is obedience brings the blessing. May God help us. May God help us in our busyness. May God help us in our, in our schedules. May God help us in our, in our day-to-day living, and not, and not just in December, but the whole year long. May God help us to be people of obedience. Oh, I want to be His. 
when he comes again, when he comes again, I want to be found walking in obedience. Those wise men, not there at the first Christmas, showing up later, but they teach us to wonder, to worship, and to walk after the Spirit. And if we can do that, well, folks, we'll be wise too. We'll be wise too. Let's stand together. Amen. Praise us. For there's no other